0: Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we have on Dr. Megan Rorabek, and we are going to be talking about pelvic health. She is a board-certified woman's health clinical specialist physical therapist. That's a mouthful, no commas, one big title. And she is the author of Amazon's number one bestseller, Between the Hips, A Practical Guide for Women. So we figured the conversation on pelvic health, we get a lot of questions from listeners about incontinence, about, okay, let's just go there. My first question to her was, why do we piddle? And I realized after I asked the question, I even said it to Bridget, like not everybody knows what piddling is. I guess it's regional where you it use is. the My term. dad
1: referred to piddling, not as peeing, but as like just kind of playing around because he said his dream would be to get a garage full of tools and piddle on everything. So I don't think
0: he meant what he said it. I laughed. Maybe he meant piddle away. He, that's what he piddle. meant. Yeah, but he meant he, piddle away. I could away. just
1: picture him peeing all over these tools. <laughs> well, for yeah. those
0: of you who haven't heard the term piddle before, you will not know what my question is about. It means leakage. Why do you know when you're jumping on a trampoline, when you sneeze, yes, when you maybe I, yeah. jump too hard or t- you can piddle. And you know, yes, it has to do with having kids and you're, you know, getting older and all that stuff, but she really explained in great yes. detail. We started with just saying explain the pelvic region because there are muscles, there's organs, there's you know, nerves, there's so many things. So she really was great about that. Bridget it was what? What is your complaint about your pelvic health or what yeah. do you seem to be challenged with?
1: The most I had was UTIs and and that was so, it was explained and I've learned so much about just the different experts that we've talked to on this podcast about how the area could become, you know, as you get older and your hormones deplete, things can become brittle and that can lead to UTIs because I thought, what is happening? Um, I would... Every once in I would get them when I was younger. When I was teaching, it would happen because you couldn't go to the bathroom when you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But that was my biggest complaint. And amazingly, my mother did not have an issue. She had 12 children and never had an issue with incontinence, which is amazing. Wow. I I I don't have a problem with that. I attribute that to our big butts. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> big butts. I feel like there's so much muscle there in our big butts that you just squeeze everything. We just yeah. So so get a big butt and maybe you won't. I don't know. No, you'll find yes. out from Dr. Rohrbeck that that you'll find out a whole different way of kegeling the correct way, which was. Right news to me. I, I, you know, and I I think I was a Kegel cheater. I was a Kegel cheater. I was using my big butt muscles and I'll,
0: I found out if you take them away, like if she literally has you take the back muscles, the, you know, derriere area away, like you're not supposed to tighten those. It was such an
1: amazing uh, conversation. I just felt like I learned so much and I feel like that has been a big question on our groups that we hear from a lot of our listeners is what to do about this.
0: It she definitely explained in very easy to understand ways, like you were saying. Because a lot of us will, you know, I will go to the bathroom five minutes later, and be like, Did I not go? I thought I just went. And it's a question of your muscles. And are you relaxing your muscles when you go to the bathroom? And so she's she gives you three different stages of having to pee. And if my husband ever finds out that I can hold it, he will never let me stop because par- you know, I, every car ride, it's like, okay, every 15 minutes, every I have to pee. And he's like, you do not have to pee all the time. And I'm like, yes, you try carrying children and then talk to me. But if you listen to this podcast, he's going to know he's gonna that say, no, no, no. I can That's train Colleen
1: it. actually flew. We did a girl's trip and some of us drove, but Colleen yeah. actually flew because she felt, That we would not want to ride with her, wanting her to stop all the time. I'm
0: telling you, as we get older, it's really, really hard to be in a situation where, you know, there's somewhere else. Like I I flew there and where we went was an hour. And um, gosh, you guys, it would have taken you twice as long to get home.
1: And her first question, when I went to get her at the airport, I got a text saying, do I have time
0: to pee? (laughs) Before I picked her up. (laughs) Well, as you can see, um, peeing and all pelvic health issues are something that we commonly talk about. So we just want to mention to you guys that starting February 28th, we are going to be having March Menopause Madness. That's right. Men men can have their March Madness basketball. We'll have our March Madness menopause. And we are teaming with two great companies, Womaness Products, which you can find head to toe products for women in midlife at Target. Yes, at Target. Mm-hmm. And also My Sister's app, which is an app for perimenopausal women where you can track your symptoms. There's a free portion, there's a paid portion, but you can literally track your symptoms, join a community, and then Email those symptoms to your doctor. I mean, there's so many opportunities to help us out there that women need to know about. So we are teaming with those great companies to do weekly Instagram lives for education. We're going to talk about sleep. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about skin. We're going to talk about solutions for for midlife. And we're going to be doing giveaways because women's has some amazing products they're going to be giving away every week. And we're also going to be doing emails and just a great bunch of stuff. So you want to be a part of that. Make sure you are on our email list. You can go to hotflashescooltopics.com and a little pop-up will appear. Just put your email in there and you will learn all about it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hotflashesandcooltopics and we'll have all the information up on there. So with that, let's listen to Dr. Megan Rorabeck. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today we have on the show, Dr. Megan Rorabek. And this topic is gonna be pelvic health and pelvic pain and why our pelvic floor is so important to keep healthy and strong. And Dr. Rorabek is a board certified women's health clinical specialist Physical therapist, which is a really long name. <laughs> I just, yeah. I was I'm like, awful. That's for sure. I'm mm-hmm. like, is there a comma somewhere? Am I missing something? But welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you very much. Well, we appreciate your time. And I kind of thought we could start at the beginning. People hear the term pelvic floor. What is included? I don't think they realize that it's your uterus, it's your bladder. Like, What's included in your pelvic
2: floor? Yes, that is a really great question. So when we think of the pelvic floor from a physical therapy standpoint, it includes a lot. It not only includes the pelvic floor muscles, which by the way, a lot of my patients, when I'm working with them, they're like, wait, I have muscles down there. They just don't know um, the extent of this area. So we have the pelvic floor muscles, Muscles, which there are three layers of muscles first layer, second layer, third layer, right side, left side, front half, back half. And these muscles encompass the clitoris, the urethra, vaginal, and rectal opening. And they do a lot, they support the bladder, the uterus, the ovaries, and the bowel. So, that being said, the pelvic floor also does include the pelvic organs. Back to what the muscles do. We have a sexual function, um, which I'm sure we'll get into later in the show too, um, but they do act as a muscle pump as well. So when we do a Kegel or when we have an orgasm, these muscles contract and relax, contract and relax, and that helps to bring in new blood flow and new lymphatics, which promote tissue health to keep that tissue nice and healthy. They also have a role in continence, so being able to squeeze to engage to close off the urethra and the rectal opening so that we don't accidentally leak urine, don't accidentally leak stool, or accidentally pass gas when it's not appropriate and we don't wish to do so. The muscles aid in supporting the pelvic girdle itself, so all of the bony structures as well. So in addition to the pelvic floor muscles, we have the bones. So the bony pelvis, which includes the pubic symphysis, our tailbone, our sit bones, which are those bones under our butt cheek muscles, and then even connecting into our sacrum and our low back. So in pelvic floor physical therapy, We do look at all of those things, the hips, the spine, the pelvis, because it is so grossly related. And then we can also include the abdominal wall when we think about the pelvic floor, because behind the pubic bone, where the pelvic floor muscles attach, is where the abdominal wall comes in and attach. So we like to think of those muscles as best friend muscles in physical therapy. Um, and then we also have the nerves. So these pelvic floor muscles are innervated, or get their ability to work and sense feeling through the nerves. So there is a, and we have glands. Um, so there's a ton to think about when we think about the pelvic floor. Um, it's I tell people it's a whole other world down there, really. <laughs> I mean,
1: I've been reading your book. So her book is titled "Between the Hips: A Practical Guide for Women," and. I cannot recommend it enough. I learned so much reading this book. Like, I didn't know about these nerves in, in the pelvis. And she has great little illustrations in there too that will show you where they are because that's something I always like to know. Well, where is that in my body? So I, I need to recommend that book for all of our listeners because I know the pelvic floor is such a big issue. And we get so many questions um, about incontinence, about... Uh, bladder leaks, everything. So, you know, so I don't even know where to start. Why do we piddle is why I'm going to
2: start. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great place to start. So (laughs) where do I start? Okay, why do we piddle? There can be numerous reasons why. So I'll break it down for you. If we're going to think about in the sense of the pelvic floor muscles, why does this happen? Most often, people think, oh, I must be leaking because my muscles have to be weak. And I think everybody has probably heard the saying, why don't you try doing some kegels? Because if we bring it up to our doctor, they'll probably say, do kegels. If we look it up online, we'll probably read an article about doing kegels. And for some women, that is exactly what they need. But I will say to do a kegel correctly can be quite challenging because oftentimes our bodies, they're very smart, will cheat They'll do whatever they can to just simply try and squeeze. But when we do a Kegel, it is important that we are only engaging the pelvic floor muscles and the abdominal wall. We don't want to be engaging our butt cheek muscles or inner thigh muscles, what we call helper muscles to the pelvic floor. Because we really want to be isolating the muscles right around that urethra to close off the urethra and support the bladder. So if you are truly, in fact, the person who does have weak pelvic floor muscles, I would suggest strengthening through kegels. However, I will say more often than not, what I find in my practice is that people will actually have... Tense or painful pelvic floor muscles, which in that case we want to work on lengthening those muscles. Because imagine this: let's say that your shoulders were the pelvic floor muscles. So, if you the muscles were tight, everyone take your shoulders all the way up to your ears. Now try and squeeze your shoulders more towards your ears. You can't really do that because they're already there. So now if we relax our shoulders and then take them up to our ears and back down, then we have the range of motion to actually squeeze to engage. So if somebody has tense or painful pelvic floor muscles, we have to work on lengthening first and then build back the strength so we have that adequate range of motion. So if the muscles are tense, we might piddle because they can't produce any change in muscle length. Does that make sense? Yes. No. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So one reason why someone may piddle is because their, their pelvic floor muscles aren't functional, functioning optimally. So that would be how we address that issue from a neuromusculoskeletal standpoint. However, there's a whole slew of what we call behavioral issues as well. So if we look at the behavioral issues as to why does someone leak, It can be for a number of reasons. One might be what are they drinking? So, unfortunately, all of the good things that we enjoy coffee, alcohol, orange juice, so anything that has caffeine, that's acidic, um, that has carbonation, seltzer water, soda, those are known bladder irritants. So if we drink those irritants and we don't get enough water, which is considered a bladder friendly fluid, we irritate the lining of our bladder and that bladder is going to be giving us what we can think about as like little spasms saying, get this out, I don't like it and that can cause us to leak urine, especially if we have a strong urge. That would be called urge urinary incontinence. On the flip side, if we leak with coughing, sneezing, laughing, lifting, jumping, pushing, pulling, any sort of exercise, that is what's called stress urinary incontinence. And that would be more so the issue where We don't have appropriate muscle coordination function with our abdominal wall and pelvic floor. So there, as you can see through this lengthy answer, there isn't really a cookie cutter thing that we can say, this is why you leak and this is what you must do. We kind of have to look into the why behind it.
0: If somebody did have those issues, they could go to a urologist and maybe be recommended to therapy. Like there are treatments that you can do for that. I'm sorry. Yes,
2: for okay. absolutely. That's a good question. So, physical pelvic floor physical therapy will completely address the why behind somebody has leakage. Now, depending on where you're located in the world and what your insurance is. Somebody could go to physical therapy via direct access, um, which we do have in the United States, uh, where you can go and you do not need a doctor's referral. So you can just refer yourself, say, I want physical pelvic floor physical therapy, and go. If you have Medicare insurance or TRICARE or state insurance, at least in the state of Wisconsin, you do need to get a doctor's referral. And that can come from your primary care, a urologist, a gynecologist, any doctor really, um, with a referral to physical therapy. Um, So yes, physical therapy can address those issues 100%. I was
1: um, reading your book and it talked about just the behaviors. These are things that I could not believe, or I could believe, but I was like, wow, I can't believe I've been doing that. Just the training that you've done to your body. And you talked about the three different types of urges. And could you talk a little bit about that yeah, about yep. yeah first second and
2: third time yeah Yeah so the I call that the urge signal program so our bladder as it's filling it gives us three signals to go to the bathroom and we've all felt those signals but we maybe don't really understand what that means unless you've had it explained to you So all day the bladder's job is to stretch fill store and hold urine And that filling process will take about two to four hours. So as it's filling, it will give us a first signal to go when it's about one-third of the way full. And that is just an inkling of an urge. It's your bladder saying, hey, I'm starting to fill. Just be mindful of me, but you don't have to take any action. The bladder will continue to fill and we'll get a second signal. And this is a stronger signal to go. And let's say that... it is pretty strong. The bathroom's right there. You might choose to go. But if you're in the middle of something, let's say you're in a meeting, you're driving, you're just busy and you can't go, you'll have to wait. And your bladder will then continue to fill. And then you'll get a third signal. And that is the most urgent signal where it's like, okay, I have to stop what I'm doing and I have to go right now. So the problem can be is if we do have leakage or we do have fear or anxieties associated with our bladder health, when we feel that first signal, that inkling of an urge to go, we might go out of fear of leaking. So then over time, what happens is we take away an opportunity for our bladder to stretch to that second or third signal. So the bladder, you can think of it as it kind of shrinks and it loses its ability to fill and store and hold urine over time, which can then lead to issues of bladder frequency, and stronger urges, and more leaking. So it's kind of this vicious cycle. But the good news is the bladder is completely trainable. So we can train ourselves out of these habits. And a good tip that I tell all of my patients, and it's in the book too, is the 10-second rule. So if we sit down and we go to the bathroom and our urine stream lasts for 10 seconds, so you count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, a good true 10 seconds, your bladder was truly full, and it was appropriate to go. So you can use that as feedback to know, should have I gone or should have I not?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's and the awesome. part two about going because it's convenient, just how your parents say you better go now. Yes, just or, or, in case you avoiding. Know, Yes, yeah, and I didn't realize I definitely do that. Like I'm about to get on an airplane. I better go now before I get on the airplane. And I didn't realize that was not something you should do (laughs) you
2: know yeah Thing is Bridget we all do it I mean yeah I, I did it until I learned this through my training that oh my gosh this is not a good bladder habit to have but I do think it's instilled us from childhood where your parents are like, come on, we're about to leave the house, go to the bathroom. I don't have to go. Come on, just try, just try and go. So we create these associations of leaving the house equals going to the bathroom no matter what. So I don't have to go when I'm out. So I tell people, let's say you're going to just run a short errand and you're going to be gone for 30 minutes. Well, can you wait 30 minutes, especially if you really don't have to go? And we should all be able to, um, especially Let's say if you just went 30 minutes prior, because then you're only not going for potentially one hour. And we know normal bladder filling is every two to four. Um, But there's a lot that goes into that too, like our fluid intake and fluid management. And I always tell people if you think you're going to leak, you're probably going to leak. If you think you're not, you're probably not, because it's mind over bladder. If we are fearful and, oh my gosh, here we go again, I'm going to leak, this is so terrible we're probably going to leave. But if you can stay cool, calm, and collected and have control of your thoughts and control over your bladder, it goes a long, long ways.
0: Wow. That's really good to know because I'm one of those people, no one wants to travel in a car with me because like every hour I need to pull off an exit to go. So now I can't let my husband listen to this episode because he's to be like, you could wait. Another 30 minutes. So, yeah, make sure. well, John, <laughs> do, if, if Bridget's husband is listening, John, do not spill the beans. <laughs> oh, that's
2: so funny. But alluding to that fact is oftentimes for road trips, people will say, I don't want to have to go to the bathroom. So I'm not going to drink anything because I don't want to go. So I'm going to bust the myth and tell you how you can and why you should still drink fluid because if we don't drink water our urine it's concentrated and it's acidic and that type of urine in and of itself can potentially irritate the bladder lining. So if we dehydrate ourselves we can be irritating our bladder. So we do want to make sure that we're drinking fluid, preferably water. It's the best bladder friendly fluid and you wanna space it. So I'd say water is crucial, but spacing is critical. So if we drink eight ounces of water every one and a half to two hours, we evenly space that out. So at no one point in time, are we overloading our bladder where we're asking it to stretch too much too quickly. So for those road trips, especially, Stay hydrated, but don't overhydrate and don't underhydrate. Everything in moderation. And maybe don't drink the coffee or the soda if you're going to be hitting the road, because those could irritate the bladder.
1: Yeah, I was I was so surprised too to see that the carbonated water because I love carbonated water, and I thought I didn't know that was an irritant. What what makes that an irritant?
2: Yep, that's a great question, and I always have to clarify with my patients too, where they're like, oh yes, I drink plenty of water, and I'm like, regular water or is this seltzer water or flavored water? And they're like, oh, seltzer water, but it's water, right? Um, But because it's carbonated, the carbonate in and of itself can irritate the bladder. Just why soda, because it's carbonated and oftentimes soda can be acidic and have artificial sweeteners. Those are all irritants too. Um, And it's not that carbonated water is an irritant for every single person. It's just that it's a common irritant. So you would have to trial and error it with yourself and notice, okay, yeah, in fact, when I do drink seltzer water, I do notice that I have a little bit more urgency or I'm going to the bathroom more frequently or I'm leaking a little bit on the way to the bathroom. Those are all um signs that you would know that the fluid is an irritant to you. But some people can drink those irritants all day long and have no issues. And to that I just say keep drinking it if that's what you want to drink. And flavored waters, can they also be irritant? Um, they can be, especially if they have artificial sweeteners in them. A lot of my patients have done well with Hint water. Um, it's regular water. It's not carbonated, and it just has a hint of flavor. And that um, doesn't seem to be irritating to most people. So if you're going to drink a flavored water, I would recommend trying the Hint water. Well, those are my husband's favorite. So there you go. Who,
0: you <laughs> Who go? knew?
2: <laughs> one, of, one of the other pelvic
0: health issues that I want to talk about is pelvic pain. A lot of women, especially in midlife, start to complain that it is painful to have intercourse, that they are just that is painful in their pelvic area. What can they do about that?
2: Yes, absolutely. So the number one thing I will recommend is go to pelvic floor physical therapy because it is treatable. You do not and should not live with pelvic pain, pain anywhere, but especially pelvic pain. And I think that women oftentimes get brushed aside when bringing this topic up to their provider because there's this stigma or stereotype that oh, you're a woman, oh, you're getting older, oh, maybe you've had children. This is just a normal part of aging, but it really isn't. So going to pelvic floor physical therapy is what I would recommend. And what your therapist will work with you on are tools, well, first of all, identifying why are you having pain? Oftentimes, there will be a degree of muscular dysfunction, whether those muscles are tense or painful, or you have some nerve irritation, or maybe you have vaginal dryness because your perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal, and that drop in estrogen can cause those tissues to become almost like brittle and frail and dry and less elastic. Um, So figuring out the why behind it. And if you do have issues with vaginal dryness, there are tons of um, topical creams that you can try, some hormonal, some non-hormonal. And that's something that your physical therapist can help guide you in as well as your gynecologist. Um, But from a PT standpoint, what we really look at is if those muscles do have a degree of tension and pain, which is, I will say, 99% of the case when there is pelvic pain, we work on lengthening. And how we do that is recommending pelvic floor muscle wands or pelvic floor muscle dilators. Have you guys heard of those before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dilator, I, heard, yes, I have wand, heard of the dilator, no. not the wand, yeah. Okay, Yeah. so a dilator is a straight tool. It almost looks like a vibrator in some sense, but it comes in different sizes and lengths. And it's essentially to dilate those muscles or help open the vaginal opening and relax the muscles around it. And you can use that dilator statically by inserting it vaginally and just letting it sit, or you can use it dynamically where you take the handle of the dilator and you kind of move it side to side to help stretch into those muscles. A pelvic floor muscle wand is an S-shaped tool And that's designed to target the third layer of muscles. So the deepest layer of pelvic floor muscles sits like a basket or a hammock. So it's kind of, it's curved. And a straight dilator tool isn't going to reach the outer part of that basket. So a wand that's an S-shaped tool, the hook on that S can reach the outer parts of the basket. So these are all things that your physical therapist will teach you how to use and be able to recommend for you. Um, And then also it's a lot of breath work, learning how to just take your attention to your pelvic floor so that you're not actively clenching and improve your mind-body awareness, breathing into the pelvic floor to help those muscles relax issuing hip stretches, back stretches, abdominal stretches, and addressing everything throughout that whole pelvic girdle that might be tense or restricted that's contributing to the pain. It's also talking about any past trauma or emotional stress because a lot of times we do carry our um, emotions and tension in our pelvis. So it might be a referral to a behavioral health therapist too to work through any past trauma, fear, or anxiety around your pelvic pain and intercourse as well.
1: Yeah, I, I know in your book, you also mentioned how people, you said you know, they clinch up, but maybe they're lifting some- what was that word called? What did you call that when they clench
2: up? Um, um, well, uh, I call it if you're if you're tensing your pel. Oh, the knack? Are you talking about?
1: Oh, that must be the knack. Yeah. That must yep. be the knack. So, yeah.
2: Yes. So in that case, what the knack is? It's kind of goofy. We call it the knack only because you have a knack for doing something. Um, so in that case, you would want to preemptively squeeze to engage your core and your pelvic floor prior to any sort of exertion, whether it's coughing, sneezing, laughing, lifting, pushing, pulling, and that is to give your body the support that it needs and also help to decrease any risk of stress incontinence. So if you leak when you sneeze, we'll say squeeze before you sneeze so that you try to engage prior. But the important thing is after you engage, you want to feel those muscles release and let go. So if you squeeze and you hold on to that squeeze and you don't feel that release, then we need to work on the lengthening and the relaxation, and that can uh, is often the case when one does have pelvic pain.
0: Another thing that I thought was so interesting is, you know, you think about your pelvic floor and you think about pain in your pelvic region, you don't think about the fact that that also includes your rectum area. So constipation, and can you talk a little bit about the issues that you see around that in your pelvic area?
2: Yes, exactly. So oftentimes, when there is a degree of pelvic pain or tension, one does have constipation. Um, And that's because if you think about when we have a bowel movement, the muscles that surround the rectum, which are your pelvic floor muscles, need to be able to relax lengthen, and open up so that stool can pass through. But if we have tension or we don't have the coordination and we lack the ability to relax, that stool is going to have a really hard time coming out, which can contribute to constipation. Diet plays a huge role, getting enough fiber. Fluid plays a huge role because if we're dehydrated, our stool is more hard and dry. And exercise is important too. I tell patients, when you move, your bowels move. We need to move and stay active to keep our bowels moving. But when there is this degree of pain, it can be really hard to have a bowel movement. And additionally, with constipation can come hemorrhoids, can come hemorrhoids, and then that also can lead to more pain. So it can, again, be kind of this vicious cycle. Additionally, with pelvic pain and tension, we can also have bladder pain and tension because likewise, it can be hard for us to empty our bladder where we feel like, gosh, I really have to push or strain to empty to get all of this urine out, or it leaves us feeling like we're incompletely emptying our bladder where we go. And my goodness, five or 10 minutes later, I feel like I have to go again and I go and more comes out because those muscles can't fully relax while the bladder is trying to squeeze to empty
1: and you also said in your book that it's kind of the opposite with bowel movements. That when you feel the urge, you should go. Yes, exactly. yes yeah. Glad
2: yes. yes, you brought that up, yeah. because the bladder and the bowel are exactly opposite in their roles. Where the bladder is a storage organ designed to stretch, fill, store, and hold, where we do not want to go at that first signal. The bowels are a transit organ, meaning when we have that urge to go, we definitely want to listen and acknowledge that urge and try to eliminate the waste because if we hold on to that, our body will continue, well, the the colon, will continue to absorb liquid and nutrients that we do not need because it's ready to be passed. So that can lead us to feel bloated and sluggish, maybe some brain fog, and then ultimately making it even harder to pass that stool. So you definitely want to listen to those bowel urges and go, which for some people can be challenging, especially if you don't like to have a bowel movement outside of your home. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is we all poop. So you might as well just feel better and go when you have to go no matter where that is because we all do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are there is there physical therapy that can help with that also with the yes, muscles? Yes, you bet.
2: Yep. So when someone comes to pelvic floor physical therapy no matter what they're coming for like let's say that they're coming with the intention of addressing their pelvic pain or the intention of addressing, addressing their bladder or their bowel issues, no matter what they come for, we address it all because they're so closely and intricately related that we can't look at one thing and not the other. And I tell my patients like you are a whole person, so I can't get tunnel vision just on your bladder. I have to take a step back and look at your abdominal wall, your spine, your hips, your pelvic floor muscles, your bowel health, your bladder health, your sexual health. Because more often than not, it is all related and connected. And if there are issues with one thing, there are probably some issues with another thing or maybe things that are just kind of starting, but we can take care of it right away before it turns into a bigger problem. So we really do have to take a holistic approach and look at everything. And
1: another thing you bring up is prolapse. Um Prolapse things. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yep. Yep. That's another great point. So, a pelvic organ prolapse is when an organ, whether it is the bladder, the urethra, the uterus, or the bowel, begins either falling down onto itself or falling into the vaginal wall, and that can lead people to feel a lot of pelvic pressure or heaviness, back pain and it can lead to issues within your bladder or your bowel or pelvic pain and discomfort as well. Typically with a pelvic organ prolapse, you're gonna feel the best in the morning because you've been lying flat all night and you'll feel the worst at the end of the day or after a lot of activity because good old gravity is pulling everything down. Um, Again, oftentimes with pelvic organ prolapse because an organ is falling down, People think, oh, I need to strengthen, which yes, that is true. But if we need to lengthen those muscles first, especially if this has been going on for a long time and you've had pain and those muscles in response to that pain tend to tense up, we need to actually lengthen first and then rebuild your strength, not only the pelvic floor strength, but also your core strength and your hip strength. And then what I love to do with my patients is look at why did this happen in the first place? Is it because you have poor body mechanics when you're lifting or do you strain when you're constipated and that constant straining has caused those organs to kind of fall down a little bit? So addressing the root cause is so important. And I'm going to put a little plug in here to anybody who's had surgery to correct a pelvic organ prolapse. Now that it's corrected, I would still say go to pelvic floor physical therapy so that you can look at just that. Why did this happen in the first place? And start to correct some of those behavioral and lifestyle contributing factors so that you don't have to have um, a surgical repair because oftentimes you get a pelvic organ prolapse repair, it fails five, 10 years later, and you're right back in surgery again but we can avoid that if we know how how it happened in the first place and to work around it again
0: is it helpful also if you have surgery like the hysterectomy to go to physical therapy
2: yes it is and here's why because when we think about the pelvic organs from front to back so from belly to spine we have the bladder then the uterus then the bowel And those organs are nuzzled in the pelvic cavity fairly tight and they all act to support each other. So now when we take that uterus out, that middle organ, the bladder loses its backstop and the bowel loses it's front support. So if we don't have adequate pelvic floor muscle support and know to do the knack and know how to engage those muscles and have them work in a coordinated fashion, the bladder can start tipping backwards where the uterus was and the bowel can start tipping forward where the uterus was. And that can lead to issues, bladder issues, bowel issues, pain, discomfort. So even after a hysterectomy, if you don't have any symptoms at all, I would still go to learn how to never develop symptoms down the road.
0: Why is it they have to get up two, three, four times a night to go to the bathroom?
2: Mm-hmm. That's a really great question. So here can there can be a numerous number of reasons why. So some can be habitual. So if we think about, you know, maybe it started where I was only going once per night, but now I'm going two or three times per night. It goes back to the fact that the bladder is very trainable. So if you're almost training yourself to go at night, your bladder will want to do that more. We also know that what your bladder does during the day and how it behaves during the day is a direct reflection of what will happen during the nighttime. So I will really encourage my patients when you're going that often at night, we have to look at what's happening during the day and go back to the basics. Make sure that you're getting enough good fluids. So good water, meaning every one and a half to two hours, get eight ounces. Make sure we're minimizing bladder irritants. So decreasing caffeine, alcohol, carbonated drinks, high acidic juices and drinks. And then As far as nighttime goes, sometimes what happens is we'll go all day and think, oh, crap, I haven't drank enough water. I need to catch up. So we'll try and catch up at the end of the day, but it doesn't really work that way because now you've just overloaded your bladder right before bedtime and you can be up more at night as well. The other thing, too, I think that um, if we have a hard time sleeping at night, especially during that perimenopausal, menopausal timeframe with maybe hot flashes or insomnia, we think, oh, I'm up. I might as well go to the bathroom so that I don't fall asleep and then have to go 30 minutes later. So we would call that just in case voiding at night. So if you wake up because you're hot, you're cold, you're uncomfortable, are you able to just roll back over and fall back asleep? But if all of a sudden the thought of going to the bathroom pops into your mind and you feel like you just can't shake it, and go so that you can get back to sleep. But I would really challenge listeners to ask themselves at night, do I really have to go or am I just up for some other reason? And then pay attention to what's happening during the day as well. Really making sure you're letting that bladder fully fill so you're going at the second or third signal, not going just in case and being mindful of your fluid intake as well. Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. R- really, there is so much important
0: information here. <clears throat>
2: Excuse yeah, me. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. I just think that um, women's public health is a topic that so often gets overlooked or brushed under the rug. Um, so, anything that I can do to help promote it and help people get the help they need is just so important to me.
1: Well, I I loved how you explained everything in there and your funny little uh, (laughs) rhymes that you, S2, S3, S4, keep pee and poop off the floor. (laughs) (laughs) I sat there and wrote down all of it. So thank you so
0: much. Definitely check out the Between the Hips, a practical guide for women. So thank you. Thank Thank you so much. Well, again, guys, make sure you are following us on all forms of social media. Our YouTube channel is up and running. You will see this video as well as many others from our previous episodes. We also throw in there some fun makeup and and Bridget's unboxing of her subscriptions. Subscriptions, And and we're going to try to get back into conversation modes. We did a lot of... Tab- round tables before the pandemic, which were really popular on YouTube. And, yeah. and we're going to try to start getting back into those when it is finally safe, which it seems to be close. We are so close. Oh. So until that time, just make sure to watch the old YouTube videos of it. And we will keep you posted when the new ones will come out. Also, make sure you are following us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Pinterest, you name it, we're there. Have a great week, guys. Remember also that March Menopause Madness will be starting February 28th. And we're starting it a day early because that's National Sleep Day. I think it's actually National Sleep in Public Day. So we thought that would be a good day to start <laughs> okay. it. And we're well, we I'll just going- have to
1: go to the beach for that one. I'll, I'll just <laughs>
0: go to sleep in public. And we will be doing an IG live at 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time with Dr. Linnell Schneeberg, who is an expert in helping us sleep. So you're going to want to check that out on Instagram. Have a great week. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.